everybody in for another episode of Compile Security Sessions. I'm your host, Dan Tagney, and today we will be discussing navigating modern security challenges. Um, by the end of this, viewers will walk away with three things. They'll have a better idea of holistic security perspective, understand a balance of compliance and genuine security, and the power of proactive preparedness. I brought three great guests today that have a lot of experience and can add some great insights into uh, this discussion. Stas, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you're working on? Sure. So I'm an information security professional. I've been in this space for 20 plus years. Uh, my background is financial services mostly, and I've been a CISO multiple times. I have a degree in the space and everything from like a CISSP to certified ethical hacker to CCNP, quite technical, been around the block. What I'm currently working on now is protocol compile. We're a next gen GRC, um, just taking automation and everyone's favorite buzzword AI to the next level in terms of compliance and security. Love that a lot. Thanks for being here. Will, uh, thanks for being here as well. Introduce yourself, please. Yep. Will Klusovsky, 20-something years in the industry as well. Uh, the majority of that in consulting and managed security services. In that time, I've pretty much worked in every department that exists. So I've you know built and ran pre-sales organizations, channel organizations, uh, done delivery operations, um, new product development, uh, product management, product marketing, you name it, C-level executive formerly. Um, and so, yeah, I know a whole little about a lot of different things. Uh, currently working at Stratascale where I um, lead our go-to-market strategy for security. I think I think they say, uh, you know, you, you know enough to be dangerous, right? I, yeah, exactly. That's I, I know enough that I have a BS detector, like for just about everything. Like that's that's the level of knowledge I have. That's great. And uh, our guest today is Jordan. Jordan, thanks for joining us today. Please uh, let our viewers know a little bit about yourself. Sure, everybody. Hi. Uh, nice to be here. Um, my name is Jordan Wiseman. I'm a fellow with Online Business Systems. Um, I also, like uh, my esteemed colleagues here, have been in security and, and, and tech for a little over 25 years. Well, probably about 25 exactly at this point. Um, Currently, what I'm working on, you know, as a fellow, I, I get to to research and play with new technology, which has kind of been the hallmark of my career for the entire time. I've I've developed the skill sets and and working with various technologies. I've been a security guy, I've been a privacy guy, I've been an, an admin, I've been an engineer, I've been all those kind of stuff, mostly because I just like to play and I learn things about systems by playing and people pay me for it. So I I I think that's worked out pretty well, in fact. Um, ironically, my my actual um, formal education is not actually on the tech side. I have a degree in business and administration and a master's in law, which um, plays nicely with security and that mm -hmm. I get to approach things from multiple different angles. And I'm one of the few security guys that really enjoys arguing with the lawyers about the details of the specific laws that we're that we're talking about from a client's perspective. But um, that's a that's a that's a, a separate discussion. We see, we see do see a lot of JDs getting into the space. I think one, they, they make more money quicker as part of it. <laughs> Tech's a lucrative space. It's it's hard to walk away from that. Yeah, yeah. For sure. But it's also really hard to get into into law, even with a degree. Yeah, well, and several people that are in this in the security space that were, have legal degrees. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's ironic because I've done most things in my career backwards, and I started in technology when I was originally gonna gonna study law, and so I went back and got, which is why I got a master's instead of a JD, so I could focus on the fun parts of it, well, like and and not have to worry about the the procedural kind of stuff. And you know, I don't represent clients as a lawyer, so there's a whole half of that that I don't have to worry about. No. Yeah, I got my master's because at the time it was how I would it was what I needed to become an executive. Basically, mm, like sure. I knew that that was the path. <laughs> yeah, that's all out now, the window now. That's all out the window. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there you go. Well, Will, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you. And I have uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think organizations um, you know, grappling their minds and a plan around strengthening a security program. Some organizations even just building a security program, it just becomes a difficult task, whether it's resource driven, whether it's just expertise driven. Um, but you know. Information security, I think, for a lot of organizations still sits uh, in their minds as an IT issue rather than uh, a company-wide responsibility. Just curious why, why you think that is the case or if you think that is beginning to shift. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, actually, I think in my bio, it says risk is a business conversation, not a technology security, you know, not a uh, you know IT conversation somewhere in there, something along those lines. Uh, yeah, big, big believer that that's the case. Uh, I think it happened that way because of how security grew up. Um, if you look at, you know, I, we probably all had the very similar thing. We all had like an IT job and then we got into security. You used to be that you had to be, you know, an administrator and be a network admin before they'd let you touch the firewalls. Right. Uh, and And GRC compliance that was you know kind of a legal thing and a management like there were no there were, there were no entry-level positions in security and they all came from technology and then you see the rise of the CISO becoming a position um you know there's a multi-billion dollar company down the road for me that didn't have a CISO until I don't know 2010 or so maybe you know maybe 2012 um and then it was like a director right uh position comma CISO so that 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 way it grew up and those were always they were usually reporting to the cio or the cto um and there was not a highlight of risk it was just well we need to do these security things uh you know there's some controls that need to be put in place and then you know we had hipaa and pci and then you had you know if you weren't in like stats probably saw a lot more you know stuff in the fed space or in the I'm sorry in the financial services space because it was so heavily regulated but you know security being highlighted by the business took took a little longer to get there so i i do think we are shifting away from that um you've got you know now one of the key things i just did a presentation on this you know the board is asking about cybersecurity right um, whether it's because they saw something on the news and they want to ask you about it, or whether it's the SEC regulations saying it needs to be under 10K now, um, or you know the the business partner they're working with. Uh, you know, I I have another conversation today with you know I, I work in a consulting business, managed services business, and in order for us to work with one client, we actually need to be on one of their clients' lists because they have a partnership that requires them to be protected to X degree. And that means you have to use these people. So that's all business, you know, like the, the cost of doing business now includes security. So I definitely think it is changing and shifting. That's great. That's very cool. Jordan, I, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective and, you know, your experience that you've had so much has now come to uh you know so many new tools are available organizations have it seems like there's like a a, a real tool fatigue uh mm -hmm. when it comes to choosing how you want to go about protecting your organization or you know maturing a security program how do you think about that and what are your thoughts when it comes to an organization maybe that doesn't have your experience to kind of like go about approaching that yeah i think you know similar to Will's point about it looks like the 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 
the landscape is changing. People aren't necessarily, you know, for a long time, businesses assume that security was an operational thing done for the business or done to the business and not done as part of how the business, you know, does things. And I see that similar change happening with security tools, tool fatigue and um, current issues related to reduced OPEX and, and that kind of stuff for companies has led to folks wanting to do more with less, not just because it's more financially efficient, maybe, but they're realizing that, hey, we wasted money on tools. We got nothing for them. That money could have gone elsewhere. So rather than repeat those opportunity costs and acquire more of those sunk costs going forward, let's look at what we've already got. Let's look at what tools we have that we can take advantage of right now. And I think that's probably the first thing that I usually recommend to an organization that wants to mature their security program is, you know, security is not just about the tech. It's about the people and processes too. And those are usually the easiest places to start. So take a look at what you can do there first, take a look at how you can improve your processes, how you can improve the, the education and perspective of the people that you've got. And I'm not talking about security awareness training, I'm talking <laughs> about uh, uh, their, their perspective on recognizing that the data they're handling, you know, is important. It's not just the company's data, it's our data. You know, I, I spent a long time in healthcare and that was one of the most important aspects for getting people to kind of take a better approach to security and privacy in general was reminding them, hey, it's not just the hospital or the or the or the clinic's data. It's your data. You're most likely a patient here too. Um, so you know, improving those kind of things is, is is where I would take that. In terms of of general tools, I think um, people spend had spent too much time looking for the quick, easy answers to problems. You know, and and now we've got to the point where anytime a salesman says, "Hey, buy our security tool and it will solve all of your problems," I think customers have finally got to the point where they recognize. <laughs> That's probably not true. Um, yeah. What problems is it going to create? What is it going to take to actually run this tool? I, I am incredibly grateful that I have customers now asking me, hey, what is it like to actually stand up Red Seal and run it? And how complicated is it as an example, right? Um, so, so yeah, that, that was a little bit of a rambling answer. But I think uh, the, the idea is really is that is that the times are changing. People are less willing to just try to solve a problem with a new tool, uh, mostly because it's 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 just not worth the expense. We, we do a lot of advisory type of work and engagements, whether it's, you know, sort of on the surface or even like a paid assessment type of stuff around, hey, what do you even have? Like, you've got, like, let's look at your landscape. Oh, look, you've got three EDRs and two SIMs. That's dumb. Yep. Probably don't need all those. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, or, it's, it... or you're paying for this platform that does all of these things, and then you've got these four other products that also do the same thing. Right. Uh, and, and, and you do, there is a life cycle. I, I don't know the exact stats somewhere, but yeah, there's a lot of times a tool gets put in place and then how long before it's, it's, you know, no longer as useful as it was, or the next thing is actually that much better that you were, you know, getting that value out of things, longevity. People are now realizing they're, they're trying to squeeze things more um, and rightly so. And, and it, advantageous for you know, a guy like me where services are big and, and, and on point for that. So they don't even have to deal with the tech, but <laughs> Well, we have a lot yeah. of customers too talking about, you know, one of the nice, interesting kind of side effects of of more and more folks moving into cloud infrastructure and cloud platform mm -hmm. providers is most of those platforms include a lot of the tools that they used yeah. to pay extra for on-prem. And so it's kind of like, well, hey, you're, you're building your thing in Azure, AWS, or GCP. Well, guess what? You've got built-in firewalling and monitoring and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And you can you can hard code and automate a lot of the security rules that you want to employ. Yeah, so, the, the platform is, about. yeah, the platform is, is, is being, and you've even got product company, like, even outside of that, you've got other product companies who are, you know, building again more and more capabilities in one place because they realize that 
client doesn't want to buy 16 different technologies and train everybody on all this different stuff and be able, you know, they want to be able to maximize their, their value. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I think every one of these we do, it's the, the conversation of the platform over the best in breed happens. Yeah. And device, device management is also, I mean, device management is a big one as well. Like I've seen a lot of companies, um, either just defaulting now to Intune or defaulting mm -hmm. to, uh, to Google, um, Google Workspace and their device management, um, their device management. So like, I don't know, things are, things are getting streamlined um, from, you know, from what I've seen. Just want to make one point though, in terms of actually figuring out what, um, uh, what soft, you know, what uh, security products an organization has, good luck trying to figure that out because they're not going to be <laughs> written down anywhere. There's, there's so, tools yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's tools for that. We've got Does anybody know what the server's doing and why it keeps yeah. pinging? Yeah. yeah. Um, when I would say another in interesting maybe perspective there for folks to keep in mind is that is that that's a current shift in kind of the 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 general approach to security right now. This this idea of let's do more with less, let's take advantage of what we've already got, let's let's reduce expense or whatever. But I would also caution folks that these things come in cycles. So this is a bit like the the proverbial crisis that you can take advantage of, right? Something's on fire right now. We have an opportunity to deal with it. We have an opportunity to improve something. Now is mm -hmm. the time to do that with tech because it could, in, in just a few short years, your you know, C-suite or, or other members of the ELT or the board may start pushing for the tools that they saw at the last conference again. So right. um, take advantage of the opportunity to streamline and, and reduce your complexity now, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. I do the same thing with compliance. Like if you're now finding that something's changing or you know something's going to change, take advantage of that. Where mm -hmm. can you upgrade that tech? Where can you, you know, improve that service capability that you have because you have to do this this new compliant thing now too? Absolutely. Change is good because change is opportunity to, to yeah. enact more change. Well, if, you're right? not, if you're not changing, you're dying. Right. That's, right. <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting. So like I just, I'm just out of curiosity because I'm just like listening to you guys. Are taking, you guys are taking all my talk points. So uh, <laughs> um I'm just wondering when you guys were, uh, you know, through all the various uh, careers and or through all the various jobs that you guys have had and all the different positions and everything, what did you did you guys notice like an emphasis on automating a lot of the stuff? Like, did you did you notice that some organizations were really heavy on like let's try and do more with less and try and automate as much as possible? Like, did you get like a mix, a pretty good mixture of that? I'm just curious because my background, like. I fell into financial services. I never, I don't think anyone ever picks to go into financial services, but like when the first place that I worked with was like a really lean and mean, uh, like multi-billion dollar hedge fund, it went under during 2008, but that's a different story, but they tried to automate everything. Uh, and that's like where I got a lot of like my, uh, like ethos and like work ethic is like, let, like, I'm not gonna spend money on a tool when I can just like build a PowerShell script. I can do like 99% of this stuff. And that, like, I'm just curious what your experience has been, has been with that. Yeah, that's interesting. And it, because in that space, they would automate every, I mean, if you look at like from the trading perspective and everything they do, like the more they can automate yeah. to make better decisions faster than that's you know, that. So that makes total sense. I don't remember really automating much until um, like when, I don't even call it, when, when automation started to become a thing. So if we like, when, like early days of Palo Alto and logarithm, you know, where you could actually, you, you, we had to write the code to say, oh, if this happens, then go and make this change and, you know, here, add this to the blacklist or whatever, stuff like that. But it was still like really arduous. And most organizations were thinking, oh, I need to automate. But most of them, the problem was they were not mature enough yeah. Yeah. because you can't, you can't just start, you like, they were not at the, and many still aren't like at the place where they can just allow the machine to make decisions because they don't have, you know, but now we've got AI and stuff. So, but that's, um, that's interesting to me too.
Thank yeah, you. and I think in my experience, I've seen this kind of kind of two classes of organizations that approach things from an automation perspective. So, like you know, back in one of my early days, I was you know big iron Unix systems admin stuff, and so we, yeah. we kind of adopted the whole BOFH. You know, we can replace anybody or any process with a small shell script, and we attempted to do that everywhere we could. And a lot of companies see those kinds of things as hey, we can automate things so we don't have to hire more people or spend more money on other kind of stuff. And those are usually the lesser mature or lesser resource organizations that automate out of necessity or yeah. out of a misunderstanding about what it takes to maintain that kind of stuff. Kind of like looking at the old DX, XKCD comic about when does automation scripting make sense, right? How much effort do you have to put into it versus how much effort do you gain from, from doing it, right? Yeah. The other side that I see from that are highly mature organizations that recognize the value that automated automation can bring in terms of consistent security response, consistent information gathering, faster um, you know, time to resolution, that kind of stuff. And it takes a high degree of maturity to do that well, because you have to understand um, you know, there's a lot of your own code writing involved, and now there's, of course, no code and point-and-click platforms and some AI solutions for that kind of stuff. But you really have to understand how the pieces fit together, what real elements of automation allow you to take advantage to gain those kind of benefits um and and then you actually have to have somebody manage that over time and 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 you know provide care and feeding for it just like any other platform or system does so uh, some of the really mature folks i see doing really well there and some of the the sort of super immature or, or super low resource folks doing it. I, I think kind of like some other things, and we might talk about this later, but but that that gap in the midsection that 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 is is kind of bigger there maybe. And those are the folks that don't fully understand the benefits or don't necessarily have the opportunity to take advantage of it quite as well um as as they as they should. Yeah, it's because the you know like I look we we are trying to automate now because we have AI and we have stuff and so we like we're trying to automate level one and two as much as we can. Mm -hmm. um but to that point like having it goes back to what stas said originally which was well if you're going to do that you need to know where your assets are and you need yep. to know what yep. your data flows are and a lot of people don't like you know that's step one is like you know every one of us has done an assessment and you walk in and you know so and so tells you you only have to talk to these two people and then in 10 minutes he's got seven other people in the room because their business process is way more complicated yep. than they thought it was yeah. Try and automate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, e e exactly. And the same thing with with inventory management generally, right? I mean, it's, oh. there's a reason that it's the first two things in like the CS top 18 now, yep. I guess, not top 20 anymore. Um, but they're also, you know, perennially the the most difficult thing to do in IT is actually keep track of where everything is, who has got it, who owns it, what it does now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that that and the second part of that, like the reason I was asking is because like. I know there's a massive shortage of information security folk, and then I just get this, you know, daily or weekly post about from Google being like, "There's 750,000 now, 650,000 people looking, or you know, there's a gap to fill on the information security side. We filled 100,000 of those, and like, I'm like, oh, that's great, but like, these people are not technical uh, yeah. or have very little experience in the space and are coming from different places. So I'm just like wondering what, like, what their thought process is by going into the space, and like, if it was um if that like jordan what you were saying like you know trying to reduce and it, it, this all goes in cycles i'm just trying to figure out what cycle we're in right now because well, if there's all these new people entering the field that are non-technical that don't have any scripting experience that can't utilize what they've got then they're just going to end up buying more stuff i, yeah, I wouldn't i wouldn't okay. say they're non-technical i think and i i would and it's funny i was just talking about this like the the uh the idea that there's a gap, a talent gap, is kind of 
like I'm not sure I believe it. Um, and I've talked to a couple of CISOs and they're and, and the guy's like, give me a job position. I'll, I'll give you 30 people tomorrow who could fill that position. Um, right. The challenge, I think, is lies on the business side, us as, as the business owners by saying, I need this person who can do these 10 things. And I'm only going to hire somebody who can do these 10 things. And they have to prove to me they can do these 10 things. I'm not going to train them to do any of it. And I'm not going to offer them the money they want. Right. right. So they're they're creating an artificial gap by not saying, oh, you're an entry level person. Come on in. We're going to train you instead of saying, oh, well, no, we'll just keep looking for one person for two years who's an ideal candidate. Right. So you've got that. Um, yeah, there's there's probably um, because of because of that, because of that gap, those who have the skills draw more money, which means now they have to go, well, do I want to pay for that role? And then there's like, ah, OK, there's your. I mean, I I think every one of us can go on LinkedIn and post a job description and have 200 applicants in, in, in a matter of hours. No, they're not all going to be qualified. But, you know, I think the onus is really on the business to start to say, OK, wh what do I really need? And then what am I going to offer these people? Because that's the other gap. We still have some antiquated processes at the sort of, I don't want to say at the top, but like within the way the business thinks about itself when, you know, if. If if somebody wants to hire me to do everything that I'm doing right now, but go over to their company and do it, my only incentive is more money. I so, understand. but if somebody says, "Hey, you you I we like what you're doing over here. We're going to give you the opportunity to learn these new things and elevate your career and give you a career plan and give you more money," then that's exciting. That's an opportunity. But in that case, you know, I'm 50% qualified for that job description, not 100% qualified, and that's where the this gap comes from. Yeah. I think <laughs> well, that ability of, of being able to, to train folks and provide them the opportunity to learn new things, I think is critically important. I think one of the messages that, that I hear talked about sometimes, but maybe not enough with this idea that there's a gap in the, in the, in the, in the, in the space is that there's of the available candidates. Now there's a lot of entry level folks and a lot of graybridge that can do everything. Yeah, a lot of companies are looking for, <laughs> you know, that's what they have to hire. That's the middle of the diamond the is empty. Yeah. <laughs> right. But they need those, they need those folks in the middle, the folks who are looking for career advancement, the folks who are looking for that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I think, is we live in a time now where the people entering this market who claim to be non-technical know how to program and 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 they they grew up with technology. They've lived with this stuff for a while. They can make websites, they can do all this kind of stuff that that back in the day used to be, you know, esoteric, you know, special <laughs> skills. These days they're 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 common skills. So the skill set that those entry level folks bring to the market maybe is different. And I think, you know, to your point, Will, about some of these companies not fully understanding, you know, what they need or how to hire and that kind of stuff. I think that's that's part of the problem because there are we, we post these positions out there and you get, you know, 50 to 100 applicants who are at some, you know, percentage of qualified for, for the position. And if you're willing to train them up and bring them in and, and teach them the, the cultural and theoretical stuff that they haven't picked up on their own, that's valuable. But you have to be willing to pay them for it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and the that's thing. Actually. Like, I, you could bring in somebody. I mean, you can spend six months training somebody on whatever critical skill you like. I, I can make you a firewall admin in a couple months. You don't need to spend four years in college to learn how to do right. that. And in fact, they're probably not even going to teach you that anyway. I don't know what the curriculum is today. I, 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 I went to school that. in the dinosaur days, but you know. <laughs> yeah, keyboarding no. was the first class we had to take, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to program up to matrices in like. 12 different languages and then that was it and i've never done it since so well well the, the first
first thing I have to say is, Stas, my, my job is to ask the questions, okay? <laughs> All right. Like, like I said, everyone is taking my talking points, so I have questions about their talking points. So. No, well, uh, no, Stas, I'm actually curious how, how you think about this. Uh, you know, you've you've had a career, you've been a CISO multiple times, you, st you started Compile, um, and because I have a unique perspective, Compile starting, uh, you know, is really on a growth curve, and it's pretty exciting. But you get a peek into these organizations um, and, you know, the more you, these conversations unfold, the more kind of the onion, un, you know, folds back and you get an idea of like what's actually going on. And I'm sure on day one, when they say, hey, we need A, B and C, by the end of the conversations, you know, a lot more is shown. Uh, not not all the time, but in some cases. Will said something interesting before about services. Um, and I'm curious from your perspective having built compile and you know with your experience with the automation but now we're seeing such a heavy reliance on the service side right compile can facilitate all of these great functions that these organizations need but they still need some expertise somebody to rely on somebody that can give them the guidance i'm just curious that delicate balance there like when you started compile did you did you have a thought that maybe um, like did you see did you see it kind of going that way like always knowing there was going to be the the heavy resilience for the expertise or, or or what what are your thoughts? I mean, a tool is a tool. You still need people to you still need people to manage it and to operate it. To you know, it's a tool is there to save you time and effort, and it has to be um, you know it has to be configured properly and it has to be looked after and people have to know how to use it. Um, I mean, that's why there's such a huge burn rate in this, in this, in basic security and compliance. I mean, I would say IT in general, right? I mean, like, um, how many like endpoint device management solutions have we all tried that like that you know failed miserably? How many um, monitoring solutions? How many change management solutions? Like, it doesn't really matter what the product is or what it does. They it, it still need there's still a learning curve to it. And it's like to Jordan's point, like they can they can sell you all they want, you know, it's one click installation and then it runs and you never have to look at it ever again. That's <laughs> um, so there's the tool is there to make things easier, but you definitely still have a service element of it as well. What I find really frustrating, and I'm sure I don't know if I'm sure you guys have had the same experience, is like being brought in as an expert on, on a subject matter and then being challenged the entire time that you're in an organization because they like heard to do it a different way or somebody else has an opinion on how to do something a different way that stuff drives me up the wall um <laughs> but that's a different that's a different topic well and i would say you know to, to your point about you know a tool's a tool and it still needs people to care for it i mean as much as i hate to say this because tools like like compile are really useful in this kind of case especially when you find a good tool but there's a reason so many organizations default back to using excel and spreadsheets for this Absolutely. kind of stuff because the people and the processes are almost always so much more important than than the tech that you're using for it, which is also what makes a good tool worth its weight in gold yeah. um and and to that point i would also say that um I completely lost my train of thought. That's okay. It well, happens. We'll cut it. Cut, cut, cut. It happens. Um, I, I said the word Excel and my brain just, just quit. Well, your brain went to Excel. Well, no, to your point though, like you have to have a program around the tool. And, yeah, yeah, and this, yeah. this bugs me to no end because um, somebody will, will recognize they have a need for this technology, this capability. That's great. And then um You'll highlight, okay, well, this technology is going to need these people trained on it. It's going to interface with these business processes. You're going to need to, you know, you're going to need to build this kind of, you know, board control, change control, whatever organizations to make decisions. It's going to need to integrate with your 
um, you know, whatever systems acquisition, you're going to have to have this, you know, you start to show them all of the compliance and business stuff that needs to feed into it. And then all the support that needs to go around it. And they're like, well, you're just, you know, trying to sell me more stuff or no, no, that's fine. We're just going to put the thing in place. And they ignore those processes and then it becomes shelfware or then you, or you don't think like DLP was, is a huge one where you put it in place. If you don't do organizational change management, like it's, if I come to work one day and now all of a sudden I have to label my emails and I'm forced to certain templates and word, and I wasn't told about this. And now it's in, like the, our job as security professionals is to impact the business as little as possible. We so, are doing a good yeah. job. If nobody knows we're there. As soon as you start making a bunch of noise and making everybody else's life harder, it causes problems. And yeah, it takes more time and it probably costs a little more money because you're thinking more than just the tech, but it's the right way to do it. Yeah. So in my well, last place, sorry, no, in no. my last place, I had, um, so I've, I hadn't come across this before and I, and I don't know why, but like there is a whole division that was dedicated to just business change. And so they mm. had a whole department where all they did was business change and it was awesome. Like OCM, yeah. Yeah, to the point where I ended up having one of the resources leave that team and join our team. We had like an 18 person security team, but she was amazing. And all she did was like, we did roll out DLP. That was one of the things that's funny. And it was really smooth, but had that not, had we not had her to explain to the business to like what is going on, like why we're doing it, how to use it. And obviously we had to make it as easy as possible. It would have failed miserably. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why there's so much I mean, I'm just I'm just going to your point, Will, um, and I completely agree with you. I just like having a dedicated resource to it was just amazing. Yeah, yeah my, one of my old firms, they have a whole consulting arm. That's all they do is organizational change management. So yeah. like we would come in and say, hey, we're going to deploy blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And here's what your business needs to do. If you can't do it, then, you know, we, you, we're happy to help. But, you know, you need to really think about this because it is. And, and I've, I've probably worked at some like non-consulting firms back on the other side of the table, too, where, again, you, you and it's weird because they have like those change management people are in the business. Mm -hmm. They're just usually engaged in other types of projects. They're not engaged in like the technology types of projects all the time like they should be. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's kind of one of those things, you know, like like you said, Will earlier with with you got that line in your bio and in, in mine that I think I put out on, on LinkedIn, you know, technology and and I would extend this to security. It should be unobtrusive. It shouldn't get in your way. It should help enable what you're trying to do. And I think properly managing change in an organization is one of the ways to do that. I, I tell people often when I'm when I'm talking about um, you know, major project initiatives and and that kind of stuff, that that there are typically three reactions to change. People accept it, people resist it or they work around it, which is really common. They just don't tell you. And so managing that change is, is, <laughs> is key to success, right? Yeah. The other thing I would say is, is as a consultant, you know, maybe, maybe a, a, a flipped perspective on this is one of the things that, that I find great advantage for, for being a trusted advisor for folks, kind of the, the guy at the end of the, uh, of the phone when people's like, Hey, can I ask you a question? That kind of stuff, right? Is that often as a consultant or an advisor, um, and sometimes as a VC, so I can come into an organization and I can repeat almost verbatim what their own people have been telling them, but they'll hear it from me, they'll take it from me, and they'll do something about it. When the guy and in I, the tie says it's okay, that's the well, old consulting terminology. It doesn't, 
I, yeah, yeah. We literally had CISA say, I need you to come and say this yep. because they're going to believe you and not me. <laughs> exactly right. And so that's so, so I would say that that's kind of one of those maybe maybe unsung advantages about about, about you know, consultant and something that I like to, to help a lot of my, my my colleagues and stuff out is is and even some of my friends, like not even the paid gig, just coming in to, to, to help them get the message across so that they can. Right. Move forward. <laughs> it, so it's I laughed really hard when you mentioned the, uh, the there's a situation I'm dealing with right now where, um, you know, the 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 controls are making it harder and harder for the organization to get things done. And I was just talking with somebody and it's like, all this is going to do is make people find more creative ways to get around it. Right. 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 It, yeah. it, and we need to be enabling the business. And, um, you know, I used to say, I had a former colleague, I used to say that, you know, security is all seatbelts and airbags. Um, but I, I actually just, you know, cause we're just safety features. We are supposed to just be there and exist. But I, I, I was talking to one of my CISO buddies, Omar the other day, and he he actually gave me what I think is a better one that I'm going to continue to use now, which is we're the brakes on the car, right? Um, nobody buys the car because it's, um, you know, they, they buy it because it's fast, it handles really well, um, you know, it looks good. All of the great things that you want the car to do, it's a comfortable ride. The brakes are a critical part of that because when you come into a hard turn, you want the brakes to work and you want to press on them. You want to, so security needs to be, applied and it needs to apply the pressure at those right points at those critical times the business should want the brakes there to keep it from doing things it's not supposed to do like instead of being you know intrusive and, and messing everything up yeah no that that's a great analogy not just because the brakes need to work and work well when you need them but because everybody just expects them to be there Exactly. Nobody would That's drive the, a car that didn't have brakes, right? Yeah, no, it, well, yeah, you, most people wouldn't drive a car that didn't have brakes. <laughs> I mean, some people will drive a car with bad brakes. Sure, but, sure. You know, <laughs> but yeah, nobody goes and says, okay, so this car's got this, this, it's got brakes, right? Or or yeah. or I think he gave me like a really cool story where he's like, you know, if I, I told you, hey, here's the keys to this this Lamborghini, um, and you drive as fast as you want, the only trick is it has no brakes. You're, you're not going to get in that car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just just to build on this analogy a little bit. Uh, I think it's also important to to know what what type of car you have as well. So like the Lamborghini, you know, is it is good for a certain thing, right? But then you might have a pickup truck that's completely right. used for a different thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I I often find um, going into new organizations that you know I'm taking a look at or doing some consultancy for, you know, they'll have they'll either have a lot of security controls or or they will have uh, inconsistent security controls or incomplete or like, or just have like, you know, they're trying to boil the ocean of security controls. But yeah. a lot of the time, the organization doesn't understand what it is that they're, that they're trying to protect or the person that's in charge of it doesn't understand what they're trying to protect. Yeah. So like, it, I think it's all about a reasonable level of security. So like, you're not going to, you're not going to move bags of sand with a, with a Lambo, but you will with, you know, with an F-150. So like, it just depends on what you're trying to do. Um, and obviously you do want to have brakes on both. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, that, that's a really yeah. good kind of, you know, to, to carry it even further, the kind of brakes and what those brakes need to be capable of are different for the kind of vehicle, you know, what a, yeah. what a, what a Lambo needs to slow down from, from, you know, 110 miles an hour to, to zero is different than what a, a semi carrying 40,000, you know, pounds of weight is going to yeah. need to, yeah. to accomplish the same thing. Right. Um, so th this is definitely an analogy that we can, that we can, um, there's a lot of good things to pull from this. I often use car analogies with with tech yeah. just because it's something people understand a bit better. But but yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of ways we can take this.
Yeah, I just used it in our uh, like one of the ebooks we produced. I was like, if you want to build this thing, pretend like you're building a car, right? Here's how you think about that. Da, da, da. Yeah, every I, car I love an and brakes and a gas pedal, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that stuff, right? Yeah, so does your stuff. Don't, yeah. don't think about building a car all at once. Like just like focus on the engine first yeah. and then focus on the transmission, all that yeah. stuff. I'm sorry, Dan. We've totally just <laughs> back to you're here. No, no, no worries at all. No, Did you have another not. question, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I do, Stas, unless you have one. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. No, no, I, I want to wrap this up. And because um, I think I think what's interesting is the the point I think of the analogy you guys are making is every organization is built different. They care about securing different things. So some organizations are are like an 18 wheeler truck trucking across the country and some are more like a sports car where they're agile and some are more like an aircraft, right, where they're like they're international. And all of this takes a different approach when it comes to security. I'm I'm gonna kind of go around, and I want each of you to kind of have an opportunity to answer this because I think you may have a different perspective. But Stas, I'll start with you. What metrics or indicators should an organization care about when they are gauging the effectiveness of their security program? Well, that's I mean that's that's a good one and a hard one actually. Um, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean. <laughs> The first, I mean, the first thing that I would that, that I would do, it would just run a quick assessment, right? Even if you use like the CIS uh, 18, right, and, or or version eight, um, and just run like a quick assessment on the organization, see where they are and uh, where they are at, and see what controls they have in place, and then put a plan, uh, put a plan in, in order to address any of the gaps, um, and then any of the gaps that don't that they don't want to fix, or there's no budget, or whatever it is, like put it on a risk register. Uh, do a rough calculation of how much you think that's going to cost the organization and why it's important. And then generally people do listen to you. And if they don't listen to you, then you're in the wrong organization is my experience with that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Will, same question for you. Kind of what, what are metrics or indicators that are good for gauging effectiveness of a security program? So uh, the first thing I'm going to say is your metrics need to be tied to the business's metrics, right? So almost every business out there, their, their job is to make money. Right, something like either sell a widget or make a widget or, um, you know, have a service or or whatnot. And if what you're doing doesn't further that capability, then it doesn't matter, right? And so I think the very first thing organizations need to know is, okay, what am I doing, and how how am I going to affect that outcome goal? Like, so I remember, like when ICS OT security first came out, like that was the conversation we'd have because, you know, the enterprise side would have firewalls and stuff, but the OT side would be completely ignored. Yeah. And as soon as I asked, well, okay, what makes all your money? Well, all that stuff in there. And what are you doing to protect it? <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay. <laughs> so to Stas's point, you know, what, what part of your business matters? What do you have to protect? Where's the data? And then, and then you basically align it to that. And I, I did have a, a former CISO or buddy who said, um, he never sent any email to uh, anybody in the business that didn't have a, a number on it, like a financial number, like, hey, I'm doing this thing. And if I don't do that, it's going to cost X amount of dollars per person, per laptop, per whatever. Like he was always able to find some way to quantify it into money. Um, that's and a good AI. Th see, that's a good feature for AI, right? If you could yeah. quantify it that way. Um, yep. And I know that there's one for Google, uh, for Google Meets, where like they can actually yeah. tell you how much a meeting is going to cost. A meeting is going to um, cost you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See that? See, we're out to a new business idea here. Well, <laughs> uh, and Jordan, how about how about you? How do you think about you know, that? 
I, I'll kind of build on what Will said. Uh, tying it to the business and what the business goals are and needs is, is the most important. No two security programs are necessarily the same. And I don't necessarily like the idea when when people say, oh, these are the top five things every CISO needs to track. It's like, well, maybe, but that doesn't apply <laughs> yeah. to every business and every orchestra yeah. or in every yeah. in every vertical, right? And I would also say that, that sometimes those effective um, metrics may not necessarily be obviously tied to security. So one story that I like to tell is, is about 15 years ago, I was doing an assessment for an organization that, you know, we were doing the typical red teaming kind of stuff. We were, they were giving their, their initial assessment. We were going to give them a, you know, here's a register of risks. Here's a register of your low hanging fruit and the things that you need to take care of right away. And when we got to the point of actually doing some of the the, the the phishing campaigns, we started doing, you know, phishing, right? So we would call folks on what we call phishing now at the time. It was yeah. just engineering. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wound up calling and, and talking to a few folks kind of using the typical, hey, I'm, I'm from IT. I've got to ask you some questions kind of stuff. One of the people that I called, as soon as I told them that I was from their IT department, he was happy I called because he'd finally heard back from somebody from IT. He gave me anything and everything I wanted as long as he believed that his problem was going to be fixed, right? And so I had to come back and talk to their 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 um, VP over IT and as well as our security director and said, hey, I'm going to talk to you about something that doesn't sound like security, but this is critically important to your organization. You need to get your first-time call resolution and your response times for your help desk down because that is probably your biggest security hole right now. And so I would say it's that kind of stuff. And it kind of goes back to the people versus the, the technology, right? How willing are your folks to trust you and tell you when they make a mistake and, and, and when they make a problem? This kind of goes back to the phishing thing, right? How many times do companies engage in phishing campaigns to test the effectiveness of their security program while ignoring the fact that, hey, if you're punishing these folks or embarrassing these folks because they made a mistake, you're probably damaging security more yeah. than you're improving it, right? Yeah. I love, I'm going to steal that story too. I'll give you credit. Yeah, I think that's a good, I, oh, yeah, I that's a good yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm positive, like working, like at a, at an organization, let's say plus, like plus a thousand people. I'm positive. If you call them and you tell them you're from help desk or service desk and then. Oh, thank oh, God they, you called me back. Yeah. 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 And like, oh, did you have a problem with your computer or mobile device? Like, a, you know, a little while ago. And I'm sure they're going to go on a tirade. Um, well, and, it, and, then, and it's timely because that was, that was what hit MGM, right? That right, was, what's that your was email? Let me, uh, yeah. let me let me let me confirm your email address. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, 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 just click. That's click why you haven't way. heard back from us. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna send you a link right now. Go ahead yeah. and click on that. Yeah, read that code back take care of everything. How I just owned you in what 35 seconds? Yeah, and I'm positive yeah. it's gonna work. <laughs> Anyways, we might want to cut that last part out. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, like you can Google how to hack somebody; it's out there. Yeah. So the, point, the point of the show is to try and spread education for strengthening security programs, not how to take them down. Yeah. Well, they yeah. need to understand if you're responsible for it, you need to understand how easy it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I would say, you know, to that end, you know, the, the classic recommendation is encourage your people to be skeptical, encourage them to come to you with questions. And when they've got help, recognize that those are valuable things. Don't punish them. Don't make fun of them. Don't push them away. Don't force them to go through remedial training because they clicked on a link. You know, it, it's your people. And the yeah. people, you know, that's your most valuable detective control, right? Because they're going to see things, they're going to they're going to notice things that your all your fancy sims and AI stuff won't catch because they're not about the technology. It's about hey, this program's acting differently than it did last yeah. time, or you yeah. know, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I I just sent an email to a, a colleague because she sent me a message on LinkedIn and it was like didn't seem right. It was kind of short and non-contextual, and then there was a follow-up one, and I was like. Hey, I think your LinkedIn was hacked. 
<laughs> so I sent her and he, she's like, no, no. I was like, okay. It's like, that's the level of skepticism that I'm yeah. at now. Like, <laughs> like somebody I know is talking to me and it sounds a little fuzzy. I'm <laughs> raising a flag. So there you go. Um, well, listen, I, I don't, I really appreciate the three of you making the time for this. Uh, this was awesome. And I do think there's just some incredible insight that the three of you are able to provide for organizations. It's great that we get to do it. It's free and people got a chance and uh, get access to this. So thank you for your time. Um, and I'd be sure to uh, stay in touch and we should do this again. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks, guys.